Once upon a time, there was a little boy called Rufus who loved writing stories. Little Rufus dreamed of being a writer. So he stood in English literature. Don't tell him that he shit does, he might fight you. Even though it's true, even though he is second worst writer in the world. Second worst writer in the world. Second worst writer in the world. The second worst writer in the world. He's so mediocre, he can't even claim to be the worst writer. So if you think about it, he's actually worse than the worst writer in the world. Welcome to the worst writer in the world with me, Rufus, and he's flat, um, he's yellowish, he's made of cheese. It's Cheesy Howard. <laughs> Cheesy Howard. <laughs> right, yeah. Okay, that'll do. <laughs> to be honest, I wasn't trying. Yeah. I didn't think of anything beforehand. So I just like, what's the first thing that comes to my mind? A slice of cheese. All right, <laughs> do that. Say he's a slice of cheese. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, thank you to the British Comedy Guide for hosting this show. Thank you to all of our lovely patrons lovely. on Patreon for supporting this show. And thanks to you for listening to this show and not yeah. other shows. Because like, you, be, <laughs> yeah. you could be using this time to listen to something rubbish, but you have chosen wisely. Yes, and in fact, if you do listen to other shows, then you're not welcome here. We only <laughs> want people who only listen to us. All right, Howard, are you ready for another chapter of Grit Pinchleaf and the Adventure of the Very Bad Dog? Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so psyched <laughs> to hear this next chapter. And you know exactly what it's about, no, what's been happening, no, who's writing this one, <laughs> no who's idea. guest starring in it. You know, all the things. I, I really try on, and sound excited on the ball. by it. <laughs> you, you, you sounded a bit insincere, to be honest. Did I? And considering that I wrote this one, oh, I'm feeling a bit hooray! upset by that. I'm so fucking psyched to hear it. Oh, well, now I believe you. Yeah. Let's get started, shall we? Yes, please. The plot so far. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a well-brilliant man-genius called Howard Long, <gasps> who looked really young and handsome and had an Whoa. excellent penis and was good at bricks. What's going on? This is really good. From an early age, Howard devoted his time to writing top-notch, super-brilliant stories, which were better than anything by Stephen Moffat or <laughs> Terence Dix or <laughs> William Shakespeare, yeah. such as Midnight Smoke. A story about a man who gets so angry about his hair overlapping <laughs> that he eats his best friend's skeleton. <laughs> or ginger bee sting. You're extrapolating <laughs> what elements you want there, really, yeah, aren't you? Oh, no, the elements. <laughs> <laughs> or ginger bee sting, a profound character study about how when life is hopeless and grey and linear, sometimes people piss on each other. <laughs> <laughs> there was no doubt that Howard had a truly impressive melon. <laughs> And in fact, Mm -hmm. his majestically wonderful stories could only be improved by one thing. A collaborator. Mm. Howard searched high and wide for someone worthy, sometimes travelling all the way across London. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But none could live up to Howard's virtuosity. Until one day, Howard's oldest friend Rufus returned from his exile in deepest, darkest Peru, where he'd been pretending to be a bear. And Howard said... Yeah, all right, you'll do. Mm. Together, they created a character called Gret Binchleaf, who was an amalgam of all their worst qualities and also a murderer. (laughs) They wrote several stories starring Gret Binchleaf, such as that one about crabs and the other one about chickens. Mm. Although the best one was called Binchleaf Bedlam. (laughs) (laughs) And Rufus didn't help with that one at all, the loser. (laughs) Anyway... One day, Rufus and Howard started writing The Adventure of the Very Bad Dog, and Howard wrote a dead good first chapter all about someone hearing Binchleaf Bedlam in his head, (laughs) (laughs) and so going to Uranus to escape it. Then chapter two was more of the same guff and chapter three, (laughs) until the plot turned up in chapter four, when we found out the dog was drilling for balleranium, (laughs) so it could have the universe. Oh, no, hang on. No, I'm, I'm getting confused. That was the Cyberlones plan in TARDIS's 5. The dog was drilling for entirely different reasons, although 
it would probably also turn out to be bad for the whole universe. Mm. The dog was drilling his way back into hell, which he'd been thrown out of for letting Gret Binchleaf escape in the adventure of the women getting abducted by crabs. The dog recaptured Gret Binchleaf and returned him to Satan, who had a plan about drilling to heaven for some reason, <laughs> and another plan about making Gret eat babies until he turned into a diamond. Yeah. Hey, that's the thing about Brillo Dillo writing wizard Howard Long. Sometimes he's operating at a level so far above us regular folks that we can't hope to understand the complexity and nuance of his ideas. Mm. And they might seem kind of ridiculous and stupid. But you want to no. know who's ridiculous and stupid? You are, yeah. for not understanding Howard's innovation and head cleverness. And also, Rufus was good too sometimes. Yeah, he was. Anyway... In Chapter 5, there were a load of celebrities Howard thinks he can do an impression of. <laughs> Henrietta was in it for some reason. The celebrities wanted to eat Neil Starkey to steal his call, but I can't remember what that had to do with the story. And at the end, Satan said Gret only needed to eat one more baby and he'd turn into a diamond. Mm. Will Rufus deal with all that baby-eating and diamond-drilling guff from the end of Chapter 5? Or will he do a big flashback episode and end this chapter in the same place like <laughs> Howard did? <laughs> Shit. Will Gret Binchleaf even be in this chapter? <gasps> and if so, how will he escape from hell with no genie to help him? Find out by wrapping your ears around Gret Binchleaf and the Adventure of the Very Bad Dog, Chapter 6. Save room for dessert, Gret Binchleaf. Brackets, it's a chocolate-coated baby, close brackets. <laughs> Wigbert Waffle was a grown-up. There can be no doubt about that. He was tall and had a credit card. He was allowed to use matches and could stay up as late as he wanted. He owned his own toaster and knew all the different uses of a penis. Even the rude ones. Wigbert was such a grown-up, he even had a car and a respectable job, which he did every day, even though he didn't like it much. Now that's what I call a grown-up. I'm a paying guest of this hotel said the elderly and thoroughly miffed lady. This very expensive hotel, I might add. And I think I should be able to park my vehicle wherever I please. Wigbert Wafflehoffle was the manager of the Royal Imperial Majestic Grand Olympian Splendid Hotel, or Rimgosh for short, <laughs> which looked over London's famous Hyde Park and was far too expensive for anyone but the most outrageously wealthy to stay in. I'm terribly sorry, ma'am, he said to the short, wrinkly woman, but there really is no way you can park your car in your room. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, at moments like this, Wigbert wasn't sure he enjoyed being an adult and would question whether it had been a mistake to grow up at all. But then he would remember how his childhood had actually been and the feeling would vanish away like midnight smoke. Yay! It would disappear as quickly as a tasty skeleton <laughs> when Ohio Grant comes to visit. <laughs> Why not? the crinkly lady demanded. There's plenty of space by the trouser press. Wigbert had to deal with this type of entitled idiocy on a daily basis, but there was one way in which his life now was infinitely better than it had been when he was a child. His life now didn't have any monsters in it. You want to drive your car into your room? said Wigbert. Yes, so I can keep an eye on it. Your room, which is on the fifth floor? Exactly. Then I can make sure that no bears steal it. <laughs> Wigbert smiled his most ingratiating smile, the one that he practised in the mirror at night. The one that appeared respectful and concerned and utterly sincere. The one that hid his true feelings. The one that masked his fear. The fear he learned as a child, when every night, once the house was dark, the ghosts would come out. There are no bears in London, ma'am. You can rest assured. That's what they want you to think. Then, the moment you turn your back, bears! Eating all your honey and driving your car about when you're not looking. Of course this lady was insane. There were no bears stealing her honey and driving her car. But Wigbert knew what it was like when no one believed you. When everyone thought you were either lying or delusional. No one had believed him about the ghosts. All through his childhood. Because no one else could see them. And they were never there in the morning. Having vanished away like midnight smoke. <laughs> <laughs> Having vanished away like midnight smoke stroke, tasty skeleton brackets, <laughs> where no higher grant comes to visit, close brackets. Perhaps 
I could appoint an attendant to watch over your car, Wigbert suggested, to make sure that no bears steal it. The crumpled old woman opened her mouth to speak, but seemed suddenly lost for words. Thank you, young man, she managed eventually, in a croaky voice that contained none of its former vitriol. That's very kind of you. She smiled, and her whole face lit up with a gratitude and gentleness of which Wigbert wouldn't have believed it capable. And your name, said Wigbert, trying to drag the name from the tip of his tongue to somewhere more useful, like his brain. Your name is... Caitlin... <laughs> Plass... Catherine, said the woman, patting Wigbert warmly on the elbow. Catherine Plassington, lady. <laughs> Fake out. <laughs> lady Catherine took a note from her pocket and handed it to Wigbert. Don't spend it all at once, she whispered conspiratorially, then turned and hobbled away in the direction of the elevators. Wigbert looked down at the one pound note in his hand. Mm. He'd have trouble spending it all at once. One pound notes had stopped being legal tender in 1988. <laughs> He watched her shuffle across the lobby and sighed. He wondered how his own life would have been different if someone had shown him even a tiny sliver of sympathy when he had been a lonely and haunted little child instead of telling him he was crazy and locking him in the coal hole. Oh, no! Well, I don't suppose I'll ever know now, he said to himself. After all, it's not as if time travel's possible. <laughs> Wigbert pulled the paisley handkerchief from his breast pocket then removed his spectacles and set about giving the lenses a vigorous clean. If he could just get through the rest of the morning with nothing out of the ordinary happening, perhaps he'd have time to prepare the hotel's function room for the event that afternoon. It was their third year hosting the Fat Detectives Guild Annual <gasps> Pie Appreciation Gala and Photo Opportunity Luau. Oh my God, what? <laughs> and he really needed it to go well this time. Last year, they double-booked with the Thin Investigators Guild Lettuce Chowdown and Body Shape Policing Jamboree, and the resulting riot had lasted for three days. Wigbert replaced his now thoroughly clean eyeglasses and noticed on the floor at his feet a laminated ID card. Lady Plassington must have dropped her multipass, he mumbled, but when he picked it up and squinted at the name, he found it said Mr Corbin Dallas. And that wasn't the sort of name that belonged to guests of the Royal, Imperial, Majestic, Grand, Olympian, Splendid Hotel. Or Rimgosh, for short. <laughs> sir, sir, quick, sir, yelled a voice. Wigbert turned to see Horace Enderspinners rushing towards him, <laughs> with a terrified look on his bony, witless face. What is it, Horace Enderspinners? asked yeah. Wigbert. There's a, it's a, we've got a, stammered Horace. Out with it, man. In the ballroom, it's, he's... Come on, Horace, I haven't got all day. I've never seen anything like it. He would just stand in the... in the ballroom. Who? Housekeeping says he's got into the ventilation ducts now. He's crawling around in there, looking for terrorists. <laughs> terrorists? <laughs> when I went in there, he were drilling things. <laughs> he were drilling a chair. <laughs> and he said it would destroy the earth if he didn't drill a hole in it. <laughs> then he asked me to go and find Ben Affleck to help him. Wait a second. A chill ran down Wigbert Waffle spine. It had been a long time since he'd heard the name Ben Affleck. <laughs> but it was just a name, Wigbert told himself. It didn't mean anything. He'd be fine, as long as Horace didn't say the other name. As long as Horace didn't say the name that had haunted him since all those nights in bed, <laughs> staring up at a ghost who wouldn't leave him alone. <laughs> did he? Did he say anything else? Asked Wigbert. Yes, he said he's from the future and he's looking for Brad Pitt and a very specific <laughs> number of monkeys, said Horace. Wigbert's spine froze. It felt like Arnold Schwarzenegger had shot it with his ice gun, then said, you look like you've got it called back. <laughs> That's a bad joke. That was a great joke. In case anyone doesn't get that, <laughs> the reason we think that's funny yeah. is because in Batman and Robin, is it? Yeah. Or Batman Forever. One of those two, anyway. Arnold Schwarzenegger plays Mr. Freeze, and he is supposed to be making ice puns after he does stuff, but he just isn't. Yeah. He's just saying ice-related things. Ice-related <laughs> things. Yeah. That are irrelevant and not yeah. jokes. I mean, what, one time he goes... But he just says stuff anyway, doesn't he? He says, what, kill, what, what killed, killed the dinosaurs, dinosaurs the, the ice, ice age? age. You're like, that's got nothing to do with it. It's just mentioning ice. Yeah. Yeah, what point. do you put in your gin to make it go cold? <laughs> ice. ice cubes. Yeah. <laughs> now you are dead. <laughs> 
So, uh, Wigbert's spine froze. Arnold Schwarzenegger looks like you've got a cold back. Mm. Don't say it, Horace, he pleaded. Don't tell me. We've got a ghost Willis in the ballroom! <laughs> yes. A child screamed. A woman fainted. Then a man fainted because I ain't no sexist. <laughs> then a dog fainted because I ain't no doggist either. In fact, everyone fainted. Then they all got up again and legged it. There was screaming and tripping and swearing and dogging. No, hang on. <laughs> That's not the right word. What's it called when two people park their car in the woods and have sex and a load of weird men stand around the car and watch them? Oh, oh that is dogging. Okay, so there was dogging somewhere, probably. I mean, it's always night time somewhere in the world, isn't it? And someone's bound to be horny and in a car surrounded by men. <laughs> there was no dogging in the hotel, though, because, as has already been established, guests weren't allowed to drive their cars into the lobby and have sex in them. Mm-hmm. Every night when I was a child, said Wigbert, a ghost Willis would come into my room and make me tell him how I was feeling. <laughs> Every single night. And no one believed me. It's just a film, they'd say. Bruce Willis isn't really a ghost. Look, there he is starring in Looper with the least interesting one out of Third Rock from the Sun. <laughs> no, I won't let it happen again. I won't let another innocent child be psychoanalyzed by Bruce Willis. But what can we do about it, Mr. Waffle Hoffle? asked Horace. There must be someone we can call, said Wigbert. Some kind of expert. I suppose what you might be after could be termed, in a sense, a sort of exterminator, said a polite female voice from behind them. Mm. Wigbert spun around to find a woman dressed in a grey boiler suit, smiling calmly at him, (laughs) as if there wasn't a ghost Willis terrorising his hotel. I beg your pardon, he said. When you've got a rat in your kitchen, you call pest control, or UB40. When you've got pigeons on your roof, you call someone who owns a hawk. And when you've got a ghost Willis in your ballroom, you call me. Who are you? My name's Caitlin Plastina, yeah. said the woman. I'm Canadian, as I'm sure you can tell from my authentic Canadian <laughs> accent. How did you know we have a ghost Willis? asked Wigbert. A ghost told me. What? He's called Slimer. He's a ghost and he works with us. <laughs> he knows where all the ghost Willises are. And he can communicate with people who are in hell. Ooh. Suddenly the door to the bar flew open and another boiler-suited woman burst into the lobby, carrying a mysterious device in one hand and a bottle of gin in the other. Oh, sir! <laughs> she said for some reason. That bar has got some right proper ghosts in it. All poltergeists and floaty spectre things. I had to empty a lot of the alcohol bottles, I'm afraid. And I'm going to need to take this bottle of gin back to the lab for testing. And maybe all the bottles of gin. (laughs) I hope that won't be a problem. The woman held up her device shakily and squinted at it. I'm getting some right proper good readings this time, she said. On my sonic screwdriver or whatever this piece of crap is called. You invented it. Why, why don't you name it? Okay, um, I'll call it a spooky woo driver. Yeah. Wigbert looked the two women up and down nervously. He hadn't felt this scared since Bruce Willis sat next to his childhood bed and talked to him. This woman is a ghost, he said, pointing at the new arrival. No, don't be ridiculous. This is my colleague, Katie Smith. Yeah. Said Caitlin. <laughs> Katie Smith thrust her spooky woo driver at Wigbert, then looked at the tiny screen on its face. No, sir, he's not a ghost, Willis, she said. Of course I'm not. Well, you wouldn't know if you were. Yeah. How could someone be a ghost, Willis, and not know? (laughs) Most ghost Willises don't realise they're ghost Willises. They just walk around like regular people. They don't know they're ghost Willises. (laughs) The door to the bar burst open again, and this time a small robot dog rolled into the lobby. (laughs) Exterminate! He said. <laughs> what did he say? Asked Wigbert. I told you we're exterminators. What do you expect him to say? <laughs> Exterminate! <laughs> well, he's a very funny looking ghost, said Wigbert. He's not a ghost either. This is our robot dog, K-Thing. Slimer doesn't come with us on missions. Slimer? <laughs> I told you, that's the name of our pet ghost. We don't take him on jobs because he scares people. He's all lumpy and green and he floats and he can eat things even though he's a ghost. Which is weird. weird. And one time, he slimed Bill Murray. But he's useful because he can sense where the ghosts are. And he can communicate with people who are in hell. 
<laughs> we but frowned. That was the second time Caitlin had told him that, despite it having no bearing on the situation whatsoever. Perhaps it would turn out to be important later. <laughs> this is how much we charge, sir, said Katie Smith, holding up a piece of paper on which was written a very large number. To sort your ghost Willis problem once and for all, do you accept? Can you guarantee there'll be no more ghost Willises in my hotel, clambering through the ventilation shafts and marrying Sybil Shepherd? <laughs> I give you my word, Mr. Waffle-Hoffle, we'll get rid of your ghost. We'll trap him, and we'll take him home, and we'll put him in our big ghost container in the basement. And I'll be one step closer to having a ghost army. What? Oh, nothing, nothing. (laughs) Caitlin smiled reassuringly, then clapped her hands together and rubbed them with glee. The Royal Imperial Majestic Grand Olympian Splendid Hotel, or Rimgosh for short, will soon be a ghost-free zone. And all because you were smart enough to hire... The Ghost Shifters. The continuing adventures of Grant Binchley, the soft-boiled private dick with a crippling fear of pies. Hello, Ghost Shifters, said Jelly Shelton, the hot receptionist. How may we shift your ghost today? On the other end of the phone, a male voice with a West Country drawl explained the problem. We don't normally deal with voices in people's heads. We tend to focus on ghost Willises, said Jelly. Yes, it must be awful to constantly hear someone banging on a wall, then another another person saying, duh, what's he saying, boss? And then a third person saying, well, the brick, and explaining what the banging meant. That sounds extremely tiresome. You must hate having to hear that over and over again. Jelly wasn't really paying attention to the call. The TV was on in the corner, showing the results of the US presidential election, and Jelly was finding it deeply distracting. The American public, having become disillusioned with mammals, reptiles, chickens, rocks, and that guy pretending to be Gret Binchley who'd taken over the world not long ago, (laughs) had decided that the problem was with anything corporeal, and so they'd elected a ghost instead. (laughs) On the screen, giving his victory speech, was President Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man (laughs) and his vice president, Gozer the Destroyer. (laughs) Jelly Shelton would much prefer to be watching that than talking to this delusional derbrain on the telephone, or jellyphone, as he liked to call it, (laughs) and did jellyphone, he said, and then, without bothering to explain himself, went on. Look, I'm very sorry to hear you've got a dog in your head, but there's not much we can do about it. We shift ghosts, not head dogs. We're not called the head dog shifters, are we? Jelly grabbed the sweetie jar from his desk and awarded himself a foam banana for being so clever and getting one over on this chucklehead. He prefers foam shrimps, I believe. All right, I'll take your details, he said, grabbing a notepad and pen. Mr. Nick Donald... Sorry, Nick Darnold. Five <laughs> Hell Road, Hellshire. I'll pass it on to Caitlin, Katie and Kay Thing, the ghost shifters, and ask them to get back to you if they can be bothered. The big double doors to the old fire station flew open and in the exhausted and emotionally drained figures of the ghost shifters. I've never seen anything like it, said Caitlin. Five ghost Willises in one hotel. Kay Thing is almost full. <laughs> Exterminate, said Kay Thing. Oh, "Oh, sir, said Katie Smith. (laughs) There's been a lot more ghost and spooky woo-woo activity recently. Almost like something has changed. (laughs) Like someone drilled a hole into hell or something and let all the ghost Willises escape. Oh, my God. At this rate, my ghost army will be ready in no time, (laughs) said said Caitlin. Then realised that she'd spoken out loud. Oh, um, uh, yes, but who would be so foolish as to drill a hole into hell? The answer, of course, is any company that thought there was oil down there. (laughs) Even if you told them there's only a 1% chance of oil and a 99% chance of everyone in the world being bummed to death by an army of slimy demons with penises made out of broken glass. They'd have their drill out before you could say, Oh, fucking I'm being bummed to death by a demon! (laughs) But fuck you, poor people. Your wasteful greed is destroying the planet. (laughs) Were there any messages while we were out? Asked Caitlin. Millions, said Jelly, the hot receptionist. I've been rushed off my feet. I haven't had a spare second to see what President Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man had to say in his inaugural address. I'm sure it's business as usual, said Caitlin. Tax breaks for billionaires pandering to Christian extremists, racism, misogyny and homophobia. That country has tried every species and none has worked. Not even the chicken in the top hat. (laughs) Oh, sir, there's not much we can do about it, though, said Katie Smith. 
That's what you think, muttered Caitlin darkly. <laughs> now, Jelly, you said there were some messages? Millions, Jelly repeated. Would you mind telling me what they are? <laughs> yeah. Caitlin asked gently. She knew you had to tread carefully with male employees. They were such fragile little flowers. Hmm. If you said the wrong thing, they might spend the whole afternoon locked in the toilet crying and playing video games. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Donald wants you to shift the dog out of his head, said Jelly. Nick Bundy wants you to shift him back to Earth from Uranus. And Pope Mordecai Dominic Maniti wants you to shift him out of Hull because apparently it's a crap hole. <laughs> Oh, sir, I went to Hull once, said Katie. <laughs> Horrible place it was. I saw a man being sick on his own face and a woman punching a kitten in a bag. Then I slipped on a rotting dog and almost cracked my head open on the pavement. But I fell on a pile of dead tramps and they broke my fall. <laughs> that was lucky, said Jelly. Not really. That pile of tramps was on fire. <laughs> I spent six months in hospital flipping Hull. They spent another ten minutes swapping horror stories about Hull. <laughs> and all agreed that it was a frightful place and no one in their right mind would ever choose to go there. Yeah. Finally, Caitlin said, Where's Slimer got to? Last I saw, he was in the kitchen eating all the food even though he's a ghost, which is weird. <laughs> <laughs> Caitlin walked off in the direction of the kitchen, but was suddenly struck by a thought in her brain. You two aren't planning to get horrendously drunk again tonight, are you? She turned around to find Katie and Jelly had already produced two litres of vodka from somewhere. Katie was chugging hers back like a British person on holiday, and Jelly... Jelly appeared to be pouring his into K-Thing's headport. Be careful not to let those ghost Willises out of K-Thing's ghost storage compartment, won't you? She said. I wouldn't want to lose the newest members of my ghost army. <laughs> Caitlin walked into the kitchen to find the lumpy green floating ghost they all referred to as Slimer noshing down on a big plate of cake and mashed potato. Jiminy Christmas, are you still eating? she said. Really, Slimer, you're going to eat us out of business if you carry on at this rate. Hmm. The ghost dropped a handful of mash and pointed at Caitlin aggressively. I've told you! <laughs> Stop calling me Slimer! He said, my name's Gret Binchleaf, <laughs> hell's greatest detective and also current holder of the Guinness World Record for largest number of babies eaten by a man. Everyone was so surprised at Rufus's brilliant and totally <laughs> unexpected Gret Binchleaf reveal that they decided to write to him personally to tell him he was dead good. <laughs> Slimer's so much easier to remember, said Caitlin. What about a more fitting nickname, like Sexy, or Man Biscuit, or Johnny Good Penis? I mean, why would you call me Slimer? Well, because you dribble a lot, and there's always ectoplasm all over the place after you've been in a room. Gret suddenly became deeply interested in where his feet would have been if he weren't a weird, lumpy, naked, floating ghost thing. So he's actually a ghost, yeah. Oh yeah, he's actually a ghost. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All this sticky white stuff all over the furniture, hmm. Caitlin clarified as Gret continued to avoid eye contact. Hmm. Every time we leave a room, when we come back, ectoplasm, <laughs> viscous white globules hanging from every surface. Be honest now, what do you do when you're alone here? <laughs> all right, all right, said Gret. I admit it. I recently... Oh, I don't know if I can say it. I recently stopped using ketchup because I discovered the joy of mayonnaise on chips. <laughs> Gret plunged his massive head into his tiny hands and wept uncontrollably for a full minute. If the fat detectives ever found out, they'd throw me out of the guild for food infidelity, he whimpered. Or infudelity, as I like to call it, and do infudelity. <laughs> Only idiots like ketchup, Gret, said Caitlin. Idiots and children and that chimp who used to be president of the USA. <laughs> Perhaps you're becoming more sophisticated. Mm. Gret belched and shoved a handful of mash into his face hole. <laughs> well, I think ketchup... <laughs> Well, I think ketchup on chips is maximum splankers, <laughs> said Gret. <laughs> Very good. You think it's what? <laughs> maximum splankers, splanktastic, splankable, splankissimo, it's splankerific. Yeah, it is. Is this some kind of idiosyncratic British word that I don't understand because I'm Canadian? No, it's a super cool word that only the splankiest people use, mm. like me and the Fonz. <laughs> the what? <laughs> Stupid young people not getting my Brillo Dillo references just because they're 30 years out of date, grumbled Grit. Maybe you've heard of hella cool Splanker Man 
Neil Starkey. <laughs> Who? Neil Starkey, Gret repeated. Raynham's top skateboarder, trendsetter and Coca-Cola magician. Mm. And the fourth coolest person in the universe. After me, the Fonz from Happy Days and Bill Murray. <laughs> I slimed him once, you know. <laughs> Gret picked up another handful of mashed potato and cake and rammed it into his ghostly gob hole. Actually, there is something I've been meaning to ask you, said Caitlin. Is it, do you want to have sex, Gret? Because... <laughs> Because that's what most women want to ask me, and I don't think it's possible what with me not being able to touch anything because I'm a ghost. Mm. Also, you notice how I haven't got any legs? Well, that's not all that's missing. Do you want to have a look? No, it's not about sex, said Caitlin, successfully hiding her disgust. What she and Gret didn't know was that Gret's weird power of being irresistible to women didn't work now he was a ghost, <gasps> and so Caitlin could see him for the repulsive, sweaty, narcissistic monster he truly was. Mm. But it is related to you not being able to touch things. Go on, said Gret. Well, you can touch food, can't you? You float through walls and apparently you can't pick things up like dirty plates or dish soap. But you can eat. <laughs> How is that possible when you're a ghost? Where there's a will, there's a way, mm. said Gret. And where there's a chip, there's Gret Binchleaf eating it. <laughs> As if to prove this, he picked up a bag of chips that had been concealed behind the mountain of cake and mash and poured them into his mouth. It's a relief after all that eating babies I've been doing in hell. Thank God that's over. Another thing I've been meaning to ask, said Caitlin, as Gret continued to ram food into his ethereal gob hole. You said you escaped from hell, right? Mm. Yes. For the second time. That's right, although this time I did it alone without any help from a stupid genie. <laughs> right. And you also said that when you were in hell, you were alive. Yes, but now you're a ghost. Correct. And in hell, Satan was making you eat babies so you'd turn into a diamond. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you're not a diamond, you're a ghost. All sounds pretty clear to me. Which bit don't you understand? All of it, <laughs> said Caitlin. None of it makes any sense at all. It makes perfect sense, said Gret. Canon. <laughs> It's not my fault if you're too stupid to understand it. All the same, said Caitlin, would you mind explaining it to me one more time? Mm. Gret hadn't explained it to her ever. He acted like everyone should know everything he knew and got annoyed when they didn't. He was like a toddler who didn't understand the difference between the inside of his brain and the outside world. Fine. Do you want to get the others so they can listen as well? No, Katie and Jelly will be hammered by now. And Kay Thing can't get down the stairs. Right, well, thanks for the update. Perhaps now we can get to the interesting story that's about me. Right, so, the plot so far. Excuse me? The plot so far? Come on, it's not difficult, said Gret. And then, when I've done the plot so far, I'll need to do my theme tune. <laughs> and I'd recommend not interrupting that if you like being alive. <laughs> Gret cleared his throat. Ahem. As you know, I went to hell because a very bad dog tricked me down there. Then it turned out Satan wanted to use me as a drill, and to do that he needed to turn me into a diamond. And to do that, he needed to make me eat a very specific number of babies. Mm. Are you with me so far? <laughs> yeah. Yes, lied Caitlin. What Satan didn't tell me is that he's a fucking crazy halfwit <laughs> who learned all his science 6,000 years ago, and it turns out, surprise to fucking prize, it doesn't matter how many babies you eat, you'll never turn into a diamond. <laughs> You didn't know this until after you'd eaten thousands of babies. Hey, I'm a detective, not a paediatrician, said Gret. So yeah, I, I ate loads of babies in hell and didn't turn into a big diamond. And Satan got so angry, he murdered me. But I was already in hell, so it didn't make much difference. Except that I couldn't punch things anymore because I was a ghost. Right, but how did you escape from hell? Oh, that was easy. The door at the top of the stairs burst open and Katie Smith almost fell down the stairs at them. <laughs> oh, sir, she said. <laughs> Get up here right quick and proper. You won't believe what's on the news. President Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man was elected unanimously by the Electoral College despite having lost the popular vote by 250 million. <laughs> the President said in his inaugural address that although he only actually got one vote, it was a very important vote because it was his. Mm. And he saw nothing wrong with a system where someone could become President despite every other human in the country voting against him. 
President Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man said that in his first act as president, he was going to deport everyone in the country except himself, since they didn't like him enough, and anyway, they were all a bunch of freeloading communists who didn't deserve to share the beautiful country that God had promised to him. President Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man now claims to be the only true white supremacist in the world. <laughs> since he is actually white, and all the others are a kind of sickly beige colour. <laughs> why did you drag me up to watch this? asked Caitlin. I know he's evil, this is no surprise. That's why I made my plan. Mm. It's not about the president, hissed Katie Smith. Shush, it's coming back on, look! And now our top story again. There was chaos in London today as a gigantic creature rampaged through the streets, causing the deaths of 15 joggers and police constable John Wilkinson, <gasps> whose last words are said to have been, Hello, 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 <laughs> what's all this then? <laughs> the army are on site and Prime Minister Theresa May has chosen to stay indoors and send Boris Johnson to have a word with the beast. Mm. We now go over to our mythical beast correspondent, Jeffrey McGeffrey. <laughs> Thank you, Dickie. I'm here in Parliament Square where people are terrified by the appearance of what anti-terrorism experts commonly refer to as a very big crab. Oh! On the screen behind the reporter, there was indeed an enormous crab. Caitlin, Katie, K-Thing, Jelly Shelton and Ghost Binchleaf all watched in silence. That crab's very big, <laughs> said Gret, who wasn't very good at silence. <laughs> And I'm surprised it's not a three-headed dog. That's what I was expecting. Yeah, me too. With me is leading crab expert and human man person, <laughs> Steve Krabs. <gasps> yes, hello, I definitely <laughs> am a human man person and not a tiny crab in a man suit, said Steve Krabs. <laughs> what do you make of this gigantic murdering crab appearing in Parliament Square today, Mr Krabs? Well, that's the question, isn't it? What can't you make of a big crab? They're so useful. You, <laughs> you could ride it to work. You could hang laundry from it. You could curl up next to it in bed and it could hug you with all ten of its legs. As I always say, there's only one thing better than crabs. And that is... Big crabs! <laughs> Wouldn't the world be a wonderful place if everyone had their own enormous crab? Um, no, said Geoffrey. <laughs> what are you talking about? Of course it would. It would be heaven! That crab has already killed 16 innocent people. Behind Jeffrey, there was a splat as the crab skewered Boris Johnson with one of its sharp feet. Correction, 16 innocent people and Boris Johnson. Mm. It's just lonely, said Steve Krabs. He wants to be appreciated like any normal crab. <laughs> Krabs want to be appreciated? Of course they do, don't we all? And they also want to be big. <laughs> Big crabs? Yes! Imagine if every crab in the universe oh, were suddenly to go big! Oh, God. What a wonderful sight! Oh, oh if only there was someone who could do it! If only there were, for example, a god of making crabs go big! It's like, it's like no time has passed at all. <laughs> well, I didn't. I didn't develop the joke in any way. <laughs> that's, that's why. Ah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. So he's like, if only there were, for example, a god of making crabs go big. Mm -hmm. Yes, but that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? <laughs> Said Jeffrey. After all, who needs a big crab? It's impossible. Said Gret in a voice quavering with confusion. He can't be here. Who can't be here? asked Caitlin, who, despite being the main character, had been proper sidelined since a couple of men started talking. <laughs> Steve Krabs! What, that crab expert on the television? <laughs> He's no crab expert, said Gret. Well, I suppose he might be a crab expert. <laughs> if by crab expert you mean actual crab. But he's a man, look at him. <laughs> He's not a man, and he's not called Steve Krabs. Okay. He's Inuku, the god of making crabs go big, in disguise. I know, because I've faced him before. And he shouldn't be here, because he got shapeshifted into the past by his own henchwoman, who I then caused to lose her memory by hitting her with a book called Retrograde Amnesia and Traumatic Brain Injury by Dr. B.I. Onk on the head. <laughs> and then I tricked her into being my secretary, which, yes, you could probably call quite serious abuse, but she did try to kill me, so I figure I'm the victim here. Anyway, then she turned into a book, and I accidentally returned her to the library, blah, blah, woman character, who cares? <laughs> but the man on the television news explicitly said he wasn't a crab mm. in a man suit. You can't trust everything that ancient crab gods tell you, Katie. Caitlin, corrected Caitlin. What? Oh, I'm Katie, said Katie, and this is Kay Thing. Mm -hmm. 
Exterminate, said K-Thing. <laughs> Jesus, lemon drizzled Christ, said Gret. This adventure's fucking confusing. <laughs> Everyone's got the same name. First it was Nick Donald and Nick Bundy and Dominic Twatlord or whatever his fucking name was. Right. And Neil Starkey. That's basically just Nick with some extra syllables in. <laughs> now it's Caitlin and Katie and K-Thing. Thank God for people like you, Jelly. At least no one else is called Jelly. <laughs> I'm not actually called Jelly either, <laughs> said Jelly, the lying Jelly named idiot. My real name is Jerebenezer Shelt Scrooge. <laughs> Just in case you need that. <laughs> Gret ignored Jelly, which is not something Gret Binchleaf did often. <laughs> I'd say thank you to Ben Shilato too, but I'm still annoyed with him for selling me out to Satan and getting me damned. And then killed, and then damned again, and now I'm a fucking ghost or whatever, said Greg. <laughs> Besides which, Ben Flippin' Ross keeps threatening to upgrade, so then this same problem will happen for a third time. Everyone stared at Gret like he was talking absolute dog <laughs> Like he was talking absolute dog bollocks. Which he was since he just mentioned Ben Ross, ha ha bonk. <laughs> anyway, back to the story, said Gret. And they all turned back to the TV, where Inuku was still ramming on about crabs. <laughs> and crabs are excellent at construction. <laughs> he was saying, you never need a crane if you've got a pile of big crabs. Yeah. Yes, well, thank you, Steve Krabs. Now we return to... Wait! There's one more very important thing I have to tell you. Is it about crabs? <laughs> well, I, I mean, yes, but, <laughs> but it's about this very specific big crab and how to get rid of it. That's what you wanted to know, isn't it? Uh, yes, OK, go ahead. Well, you have to call the experts, don't you? Said Inuku. I thought that was you. I'm an expert on crabs and their adaptive sizes, particularly when that size is gone big. You need an expert on moving large, somewhat malevolent creatures. Or shifting them, you might say. Mm. What are you suggesting, Mr. Krabs? I'm suggesting it's time we called the Ghost Shifters. <laughs> The shiftmobile raced down the London streets towards Parliament Square, sometimes reaching speeds of over four miles an hour. Mm. Bloody traffic, said Caitlin. It gives me a double dose of road rage, I don't mind telling you. I've half a mind to get out and tell that bus driver what a useless great bag of bollocks he is. <laughs> Caitlin pulled on the handbrake and leaned against the steering wheel. In the back seat were Katie and K-Thing, who were trying to play I Spy, but K-Thing kept choosing something to begin with X, and it always turned out to be Exterminate. <laughs> In the passenger seat was Gret Binchleaf, who had called Shotgun. He wasn't normally allowed to leave the firehouse, but on this occasion he'd insisted, because he said he knew how to defeat the god of making crabs go big. Caitlin had agreed on one condition. She didn't want people to be scared by the weird floating blob ghost, so she said he could come if he agreed to wear a sheet over his head. <gasps> I feel alright twit with this sheet on, said Gret. And it reminds me of my one true love. The only woman who ever meant anything to me. The only person I ever felt a real connection with. Who's that? Asked Caitlin. Oh, I forget her name. <laughs> but she always wore a sheet on her head because, um... No, I don't remember that either. I'm pretty sure she came from space, though. <laughs> they drove in silence for a few minutes, but for the sound of Gret gently weeping. Or maybe he was humming his theme tune again, it wasn't clear. Oh. What's it like in hell? Asked Caitlin, eventually. It's a lot like here, actually. Mm. Really? Yeah, Satan told me about it at one of our all-night poker and baby tapas sessions. He said when they first built hell, they thought it'd be hilarious if they put the total worst humans in charge. The real scum. The most hateful, evil, nasty, selfish shitbags from the deepest, darkest prisons. Those who'd been executed for depravity and murder and greed. Suddenly running the whole show. They thought when the sinners arrive, especially the ones who thought they were good people, you know, the religious hypocrites and the delusional conservatives, they'll be very surprised to find the crappiest humans in charge. <laughs> So what went wrong? asked Caitlin. Well, then humans made the real world like that. So when they arrived in hell, all the same people were in control, everything was the same and everyone was used to it and accepted it. Gret grabbed the part of the sheet that was covering his face and loudly blew his nose on it. Hmm. So Satan thought, OK, what's worse than a few evil people in charge? When is humanity at its absolute worst? Simple. When it's in a crowd, a mob, a group of ignorant, scared people making decisions based on their emotions. So they changed hell so that everyone was in charge. And they got them all riled up with lies and conflicting ideas and rumours and said, OK, now we'll do whatever the majority wants. And? And then humanity invented democracy and so hell was exactly like the real world again. 
said Gret. That's why they have to do all the bum torture and baby eating, so there's a chance that hell is worse than regular life. But for a lot of damn souls, it's still business as usual. The world's so fucking awful, Satan can't come up with anything that's definitively worse. (laughs) Is that why he decided to drill to heaven? Yeah, you reckon that heaven was the one place that might actually be worse than reality. (laughs) Because it's so boring there with nothing to do and no one torturing you and nothing to look forward to apart from the heat death of the universe. But he couldn't drill to heaven because Hugh didn't turn into a diamond. Yeah, fucking stupid plan. Eat babies and become a diamond. What a twazzer. (laughs) So Satan decided to let everyone out of hell so they could come and live here where everything's awful anyway. And now it's worse because there's ghost Willises everywhere wandering into children's bedrooms and psychoanalyzing them. Hmm. Footnote. For anyone who hasn't seen The Sixth Sense, these jokes are all really hilarious and you're missing a treat. (laughs) And that's how you escaped from hell. No. Satan said I was the only one who wasn't allowed to leave. He said he was going to devote all his time to torturing me personally with a cheese grater. Then how did you escape? You try letting a few billion ghost Willises out of hell and keeping track of whether a Gret Binchleaver snuck into the middle of them, said Gret. And now I'm safe back in the real world with plenty to eat and my new best friends, the woman ghost shifters. It's just ghost shifters. You don't need to say woman before it. (laughs) But you are women. (laughs) Yes, but that's irrelevant, said Caitlin. I mean, do you call yourself a man detective? Sometimes, yes, said (laughs) Gret. Have you been listening to me when I'm in the bathroom? (laughs) No. And why does a ghost need to spend so long in the bathroom anyway? (laughs) Regular reasons like shitting or masturbating or shooting up heroin or whatever. I'll tell you what I'm not doing. I'm not putting on little plays with me as the hero and a couple of sock puppets, one evil villain called Old Dick Nasty and a woman called Lady Nippella Nipplington. (laughs) And he's kidnapped her and locked her in his sex dungeon and someone, oh, I wonder who that's going to be, has to rescue her, has to rescue her before Dick Nasty has his wicked way with her. Oh, look, here comes Gret Binchley, world's greatest detective and woman rescuer. He murders Old Dick Nasty by strangling him with his own penis, then unlocks the sex dungeon to let Lady Nippella Nipplington out. And she's so grateful that, well, since we're in a sex dungeon, might as well use it. Oh, Gret Binchley, if you're so big and good, splurt, splurt, gobble, gobble, cork. <laughs> I'm never using that bathroom again, said Katie Smith. Oh, I'll do it in all of them, said Gret. <laughs> I mean, don't do it. In all of them. Yeah. As they drove through Elephant and Castle and towards Waterloo, the streets became uncharacteristically quiet. And by the time they hit Westminster Bridge, there was no one in sight. No tourists, no bicycle rickshaws, not even any human statues. Although that bagpipe player was still there because he always fucking is. (laughs) They parked on the north side in the shadow of Big Ben. Yes, I know it's not called Big Ben, but also it is, so fuck off. (laughs) There was no one in sight. It was like Christmas Day after the apocalypse. Probably because there's that big murdering crab just round the corner, said Katie Smith insightfully, as they all clambered out of the car and walked around to the boot. NB, trunk if you're an American or have an elephant glued to the back of your car. <laughs> Do you use special ghost lasers like in the movies? <laughs> <laughs> Asked Gret. <laughs> Asked Gret as Caitlin and Katie began unpacking their ghost shifting equipment. Ghost lasers aren't real, Slimer, you floating poltroon, said Caitlin. Really? Of course not. What do you think that wobbly line they shoot is made of? <laughs> Magic science splooge? (laughs) It's special effects. There's no such thing as magic ghost guns. Then what do you use? Caitlin pulled two metal devices from the back of the car and held them up. Regular guns, she said. How does that work against ghosts? It's the threat, Caitlin explained. You see, most ghosts don't know they're dead. Mm. They just walk around like regular people (laughs) and go into the bedrooms of young boys and talk to them. (laughs) That's quite disturbing. Yes, it is. But it makes them quite easy to shift. Because they think they're alive, we can just threaten to shoot them unless they get inside Key Thing. And then we take them to our ghost prison that we have in the basement, where they train to be part of my ghost army. (laughs) Your what? asked Gret. Oh, nothing, nothing. (laughs) Caitlin buckled her holsters and began filling her pockets with gun bullets. Meanwhile, Katie Smith was assembling a bazooka. And yes, only one bazooka. She's not Jimbly Smythe. We don't normally carry ammunition, said Caitlin, because we're pacifists and because you can't actually shoot ghosts. But since this job is shifting a big crab, we thought it might be wise. I'm going to bazooka it to death, <laughs> said Katie. Exterminate, said Kay Thing. 
It's not like the good old days, is it? Said Grip, when only men were allowed to be ghost shifters. <laughs> Why don't you shut your stupid slack-jawed cake-encrusted face hole, you pointless fucking relic? Said Caitlin. <laughs> hey, I'm just saying, said Grip, <laughs> which is a bad start to any sentence. <laughs> Ghostbusters are women now? Ghost shifters. Ghost shifters are women now. Professor Doctor Who's a woman now. I'll tell you this. Gret Binchleaf will never turn into a woman. <laughs> and that's a Gret Binchleaf guarantee. Although I am a ghost now, which is a bit like being a woman. How is that? No, no, you're right. It's nothing like being a woman. I don't know why I said that. What am I like? <laughs> anyway, I'm sure we can all agree women can't shift ghosts as well as men. <laughs> Especially if those men are a slightly overweight Dan Aykroyd and a balding Bill Murray. I slimed him once, you know. It was before he was famous. We were both working in a linear office. (laughs) And I knew he fancied me, so I told him to meet me upstairs in five minutes. And when he arrived, I jizzed all over him. Caitlin waited until she was sure Gret had finished, then said, Do you know what I do when people say women can't be ghost shifters? What? I prove them wrong by... Shifting them into being a ghost. With my gun. Or my bazooka, said Katie Smith. That'll shift ten or twenty misogynists into ghosts in one shot. Mm. You won't be able to do that to me, though, said Gret. I'm already a ghost. And we're ghost shifters, said Caitlin. So we could just shift you back to hell. With my bazooka, said said Katie. All right, stay calm, let's be civil, said Gret. Which is what all fucking arseholes say when you call them out for being arseholes. They don't call us ghost shifters for nothing, said Caitlin. It's because we shift ghosts, shift people into being ghosts, and because if you ghost me, I'll fucking shiv you. <laughs> You're sounding less and less like pacifists, <laughs> said Gret. We're the kind of pacifists who occasionally shoot people, said Caitlin. And bazooka big crabs, said Katie Smith. <laughs> Exterminate, said K-Thing. Talking of which, said Caitlin, let's go and shoot some big fucking seafood right now. <laughs> and if that crab turns into a ghost... Then I know what I'll be riding into battle at the head of my ghost army. When we march on the White House, overthrow the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, and I take over as President of the United Fucking States of America. <gasps> what did you say? <laughs> Asked Ghost Binchleaf. Oh, nothing, nothing. Mm-hmm. Come on, let's go and murder a guard. <laughs> That's what I call a very big crab, said Caitlin. I've seen bigger, said Gret, who was that type of man. I eat bigger crabs than that for breakfast. Yes, and we pay for them, said Caitlin. I can't very well get a job, can I? I'm a ghost and I'm invisible and I can't touch anything. One out of those three things was true, which was an unusually high level of accuracy for Gret Binchleaf. So, what's the plan, sir? said Katie Smith. Try talking to it and if it doesn't speak English, shoot it. Don't be ridiculous, said Gret. It's a big crab. What are you going to say to it? Hello, Mr. Big Crab, have you got any bananas? <laughs> we can't shoot first and ask questions later. So skip the question. Shoot first and eat biscuits later. Mm. I told you, we're pacifists. We always try to find a peaceful solution first. Oh, dangly dog dooglies, said Gret. <laughs> Never send a woman to do a man's job. Then, Gret Binchleaf grabbed the bazooka from Katie Smith, hoisted it onto his own occasionally tangible shoulder, and aimed at the crab. Let me show you ladies how it's done, said Gret, and fired. They all watched open-mouthed as the projectile missed the crab by a clear 50 metres and exploded into the front of Westminster Abbey, (laughs) causing it to creak, cripple and crumple into a big pile of bricks and glass. The majestic cathedral, which had survived for a thousand years, didn't last five minutes around Gret Binchleaf. Whoops, said Grep. What am I like? <laughs> you fucking chimp, <laughs> said Caitlin, as Katie grabbed the bazooka back from Grep before he could destroy any more history. Why do we bring you with us anyway? Eye candy, suggested <laughs> Grep. Excuse me, interrupted a skinny man with the kind of smile you could open a tin of peaches with. Are you the ghost shifters? We are. Go shift in a speciality, but if you've got a monster, a vampire, or a piece of heavy furniture that needs shifting, we're happy to give it a go. And how do you feel about big crabs? <clears throat> Ambivalent. <laughs> but do you like them? Do you ever look at a small crab and think, Oh, I wish that crab would go big? Uh, no. Do you ever look at the world and think, what this place needs is more big crabs. Do you ever look at your rubbish pet dog and think, I'd like Fido a lot more if he had pincers and walked sideways and was big and a crab. <laughs> no one likes big crabs, said Caitlin. 
What about the Big Crab Appreciation Club? <laughs> or BCAC for short? You just made that up. I didn't. I'm the club president. And the only member I'll warrant. It's a very new club. I'm expecting an influx of applications any day now. Yeah, good luck with that, Inuku, you crab-obsessed idiot, <laughs> said Caitlin, who had got the measure of the crab big enough very quickly. Mm. Steve Krabs narrowed his eyes at Caitlin, scrutinising her face as if searching for something. How do you know my name? he asked, turning to Katie Smith and inspecting her in the same disturbing manner. Neither of you looks like Gret Binchleaf, although it's difficult to tell. All humans look the same. Mm -hmm. Both Caitlin and Katie were so offended by the idea that they looked even the same species as Gret Binchleaf that they almost shot Inuku there and then. Mm. Exterminate, said Kathing, who was still there. You should be more like crabs, <laughs> said Inuku, individually unique and each one beautiful in its own special way. Steve Krabs was staring at the floating sheet, a frown on his bony brow. <laughs> Anyone paying close attention might have thought it odd that he didn't think it was Susan Cheese in a bag, since she always wore a sheet on her head. And if he thought it was Susan, he should also have been excited to encounter an iteration of his old accomplice, Jimberly Smythe. But he wasn't, and he didn't, and he crabbed. <laughs> Which some might say was suspicious behaviour for the god of making crabs go big. Why didn't you bring Gret Pinchleaf with you? said Inuku. I was counting on you to bring him. That was my whole plan. I guess today you wore your chin hat and your banana shoes, said Gret, because you, my friend, are a chin banana. Gret whipped his sheet off to reveal his lumpy, floaty, ghosty self. Is now a good time to do my theme tune, said Gret. He likes his food, he likes his drinks, he's going to tell you what he thinks, then he'll tell you one more thing he thinks. Ping! <laughs> <laughs> I've already bought into the the lyrics yeah. <laughs> version of the theme tune now. Yeah. That Gret always sings that because he, he gets it wrong every time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gret Pinchleaf, at last! I've been looking for you everywhere! Suddenly, behind Inuku, the enormous crab reared up, clacking its enormous pincers menacingly. Really? Why? asked Gret. With the crab standing behind him like an exaggerated comic book shadow... Inuku began his long, boring villain explanation, probably getting distracted by the opportunity to talk about crabs every couple of sentences. As he did so, and while he was foolishly paying no attention to the tooled-up women, Caitlin whispered to Katie Smith, This is her chance. Set Bazooka to kill. Oh, sir, it only really has that setting, said Katie. <laughs> Good. K-Thing, set nose lasers to exterminate. Exterminate, said K-Thing. Caitlin slowly pulled out her sharpshooters and subtly aimed them at Inuku's head. Okay, she whispered. Three, two, one. You know how in that chapter, yes. right, there was a, like one or two little so references good. to a movie, an old movie you might have seen um, called Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. Well, when we originally wrote and released this book four years ago, wow. exclusive to our secret gang, I also made a kind of mashup theme tune, which was a combination of Normandy Cloche singing... Greta Binchleaf's theme tune. Yes. And and the Ghostbusters music. Yes, you did. And I also made, like, Ghostbusters-style stings instead of the traditional Greta Binchleaf stings. Unfortunately, the episode that everyone's just listened to did not have them in. <laughs> and I think it, it kind of lost something, because it was quite an exciting... Like, it's quite exciting to have some completely d different music for a Greta Binchleaf chapter. Mm -hmm. Of course, you can still hear that... Because if you sign up for Our Secret Gang for as little as $2 a month, Ooh. you will find that the gang version of this episode, you don't have to go looking for it, it's the latest uh, release, does still have that music on it. Brilliant. And not only that, but next week's episode has a different mashup theme tune that I made, and the one after that has another one. Right? So it's a, just, it's a whole exciting theme tune bonanza coming only to the secret gang. So why not go to patreon.com slash manbycow and for just $2 get 
all of that and so much more that I can't even imagine. Like you might be thinking, for example, people people might be thinking, well, why why bother signing up when eventually you're just going to release these things on the Worst Writer feed anyway? But like, A, it's taken four years for us to release this one. And B, no, we're not, because there's a lot of books that we're never, <laughs> we are never making public. Time Bending Men? No. No. Hundreds of episodes? No way. Yeah. But if you sign up for just $2, you'll get access to a lot of that stuff immediately. And you can get even more if you wanted to sign up for a little bit more. For example, $7. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's Patreon forward slash... Um... <laughs> M-A-N-B-U-Y-C-O-W, man by cow. Close enough. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye, milk. Bye-bye, milk. He's a stupid, suck-ass, rubbish writer.